0: Fast talk. Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people.
1: Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On DAV+, on the app, talk radio and talk TV.
2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's Monday morning. Uh, it's a sizzler out there. Uh, well, actually, it's not really. Uh, it's about 21 degrees. It's quite nice. A bit of wind, uh, very pleasant. The sky, a little bit cloudy, uh, a bit of a high climb ceiling. There's no crisis here weather-wise. There is one apparently across Europe uh, where people have gone on summer holiday and have been shocked to discover that it is actually summer. Uh, and in fact the weather's quite nice and they're able to go to the beach uh, and lie under a sunbed with an umbrella and a pina colada and actually have quite a nice time stay where you are ladies and gentlemen if you are out there listening and watching because it's a lot better than it is back here uh, where the roads are at a standstill and uh, where the trains are on a works of rule strike where the doctors aren't working because uh, they want more money uh, and where before the end of the week the train drivers will be out again for heaven's sake 0344 is the number Peter Hitchens is going to be here we're going to talk about Labour uh, and their plan to bring in something like 3,000 wind turbines onto the land and where they're going to put them all uh, or whether or not they're even going to work uh, we're up first uh, with our opening guest uh, who is of course from the London Assembly uh, there's a mayoral election coming next year and we're going to find what Neil Garrett's got to say about that Conservative London Assembly member of course uh, we'll be talking about the big by-elections coming up on Thursday and we'll be talking about as well uh, what is going on in the NHS because it turns out that we are on target to miss the target which the Conservative Party set out to do uh, which was to build another 40 hospitals by 2030 apparently that's not going to happen but never mind there'll be another plan along as soon as you want to see it Uh, coming up later on as well we're going to talk to Nick Freeman uh, who is of course a campaigner for decent transport around London Uh, he's going to tell us why uh, e-bike riders speed like mopeds and they're getting more and more dangerous we'll also talk uh, later on to Dominic Sandbrook who's historian and host of a show called the rest is history he's going to be talking about how British tourist areas uh, are being overrun by what too many tourists is what he's going to tell us and we're going to talk about schools as well and education because apparently uh, people are getting ripped off by doing useless degrees which don't allow them to get a decent job afterwards 0344 499 1000 is the number and let's not forget that wooden cake we might have a world of woke going on there. there's a school uh, that says kids can't actually eat real cake so whenever somebody's birthday comes along they give them some candles to put in a wooden cake this is the most ridiculous story i think i've ever heard and that's happening in slough this is talk tv i'm mike graham it's the independent republic let's get it on By the way, uh, I have been showing this picture already with Kevin uh, on the 9:30 show. But here's Marcus Rashford getting into his £700,000 Rolls Royce. Very modest. Nice-looking car, but I mean, it's a bit conspicuous. He appears to have been parking it on the pavement as well. Isn't that an offence? Neil Garrett's here. Uh, you know about these things. You're, a, you're you're what they call in America a lawmaker, aren't you? Well, That's maybe. That's what they call people like you. They do. Lawmakers. How are you? And other things as well. Yeah. Oh, very well, Mike. Welcome, to Welcome to the Independent Republic. Nice to see you. We've had you on Zoom before, but I think we should now all uh, crusade, basically, on getting rid of Zoom meetings, getting rid of Zoom calls, and just having people properly in as a guest. They are a
3: nuisance. I was in the studio properly last time I was on, actually, about two months ago. I was think, that? See, like, oh, so time flies. You see, I'm
2: getting old. I can't remember that far back. But anyway, well, anyway, welcome to the first, for the first time you've been here in July. How about that? That's great. And that way it sounds good. Um, tell us, what's going on, you, your journey in already was a bit of a problem apparently it was a joy so normally there's direct
3: trains from where i live in in uh, sutton and my little yeah. of south london into london bridge dead easy 25 minutes on the train yeah. and i'm here yeah um, it's called the commuter belt right it, it, it is this is this is this is what it's called mm. got there this morning and uh, of course there were no trains to london bridge of course there were only trains to victoria and why was is- this Work to rule. They've decided that they're going to work to rule, so there's this overtime ban, so there are no services from my neck of the woods into London Bridge. So I had a lovely scenic tour via Croydon this morning, Nice. which was made worse by the fact that the trams are also not working, so I got to West Why are they not working? Because they have a problem with the wheels. The wheels literally are falling off the trams. (laughs) Uh, We've been asking about this for some time, we keep being reassured that it's fine. Uh, there's huge gaps. So it's a design
2: fault of some kind, presumably. It
3: is. Well, they're being a bit vague about what it is, whether mm. it's the, the way they've been used or they're running out of end of life. It's not quite clear, but right. the gaps between the services on the trams are so big it was literally quicker. I mean, this
2: is a problem. And I'm not going to make this too much about London because there are lots of people listening and watching this from outside of London, but there is a kind of infrastructure problem in this country where nothing seems to be built um, with any thought in mind for the future it's sort of immediacy isn't it it's like well it will become obsolete in 10 years don't worry we'll worry about that in 10 years I mean, we've got a story this morning about what they something they're calling aero concrete which is apparently some material that they used back in the kind of um, 70s um, to build schools to build hospitals but it's basically deteriorating now to, walking, to such an extent it? that it's about to fall down the buildings will fall down and you just think well what on earth were you thinking why would you build use a building material which has a lifespan of 30 years you know, the curious thing, of course, the ancient Romans had concrete. Yeah. And the things they built with it are still standing. Well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> so yeah. it seems to have had a slightly longer than 10 years. Well, they did the have policy. slaves, which I suppose made it a bit cheaper to use more expensive materials. But yeah, I mean, the problem, I, I had a similar problem, which was not on the railways, but in the, uh, in the roads, because somehow Tower Bridge was closed. And so all the all the traffic coming from the east of London, which there's quite a lot of, because quite quite often people come in from Essex and Kent and that sort of thing. Um, and they can't get in for the same reasons that you were struggling. So they can't rely on the trains anymore, so they drive. Um, but but the whole of sort of East London was at a standstill at one point this morning. I thought I wasn't going to get here. It, I mean, I thought I'd allow plenty of time. Mm. My, my journey this morning had half an hour of spare
3: time in it for a 25 minute journey. Yeah. Um, so double, I, just got basically. Here on, I just got here in time.
2: It is extraordinary. So we're in the midst of sort of election period. We can't talk too much specifically about the by elections coming on Thursday, but obviously it's quite big. Big day for Rishi Sunak, um, but ULEZ is becoming a very big um, sort of debating point now, not just it in is. London but outside of London as well. Because there's many places like Newcastle, um, I think, just announced last week, it's a Labour council, but they're revisiting their low traffic neighbourhoods and deciding whether or not they were a good idea.
3: Well, I mean, the interesting thing about ULEZ is that I, I felt like I've, I've spoken about nothing else. We do a huge amount of different things right. at uh, the London Assembly, scrutinising mm. the police and all the different bits of transport and so yeah. on but it feels like the only thing i ever really talk about is you and yeah. it's because it's what it is it's a fundamental change in the way that people think about using their car right. which in outer london you know my, my neck of the woods most people have a car most right. people use a car for a lot of their journeys mm. and the idea that you can just get in your car and go to somewhere that's two miles up the road right. because it's convenient and
2: fast it's the best way of getting around right
3: it, it absolutely is um and, and of course what's happening with you so there's a couple of things one is that it's it's starting to spread so you're starting to see i saw a story this week about now people are struggling to build houses unless they bring in a ulez but equally here in london the mayor although he denied it last week which is interesting you know it's true and there's been an official denial about the plan to convert ulez into a road user charging Mm. scheme so his his argument right now is you don't need to worry about it it's all scaremongering from the likes of you and me probably yeah don't to worry about it it's a tiny proportion of vehicles affected but of course the plan is this is Phase one. Phase two yeah. is it will be all vehicles and it will be per mile every right. time you get in your car and drive. Mm. Even if you've just bought an electric car,
2: the idea is well, every this is the thing, you isn't drive it? your car. They're going to have to find a way of, of making money from electric cars because they can't just keep giving them a pass on the road tax. They can't just keep making it free to use the, to use the electric car because then they'll lose loads of revenue. Exactly.
3: So I think so what so it's interesting because last week uh, Robert Holden the mm. Roads minister accused the mayor publicly said I don't think he accused him I think he described him as plan- working on this and of course the mayor furiously denied it but yeah. it was fascinating to me because in city hall it's just an open secret that right. that is what he's working on right. it's an open secret that he's But working that's the on.
2: thing they do make this argument don't they that new laws won't won't affect very many people because most people's cars are in fact new laws compliant well that may well be, but what if they were to change the, uh, the, the sort of the, the rules on that and what if they made you you have to be more compliant than you currently are and then suddenly they get a whole they catch a whole load more cars outside of that so, here, so here's a question mm. TFL's own figures and then the mayor will even say this
3: ULEZ has got a two- year lifespan in terms of making money so I'll make money in year one right. assuming it comes in in August obviously pending the court case make money in year one make money in year two by year three it'll be somewhere around break even, or maybe even losing mm. money so what do you think he's going to do in year three is he going to turn the cameras off or is he going to add no. more cars he's to going the to use system? he's going
2: to use something else isn't he because yeah. that's the other thing um that we learned i think from last year was it uh, that that the, the zone that currently exists made 224 million quid a third of which came from penalty charging the, the penalty charging is a big big share of mm. the revenue, actually. We've been trying to... So I'm chair of the
3: Budget and Performance Committee, and we've been trying to get answers on this about the forecasts that they're looking at and the outturn that they've had. How much of that is the £12.50 that people pay mm. and how much of it is going up? It's now 180 quid mm. if for the, for the fine. Um how much of it is from the second rather than the first? Yeah. You know, how much of it is a fining based revenue system versus a you know the twelve pound yeah. fifty? They're, they're not keen to tell us, which makes me think probably quite a lot of yes. it is the latter. The
2: problem is though that the people of certainly of this country, generally speaking, who are car drivers, see politicians as the enemy of car drivers. That, you know, all politicians don't really want people driving cars as much as as they would like to do. And people have pointed out to me that ULEZ actually was an invention of Boris Johnson, wasn't it? Wasn't it his idea in the first place? It, in central London, it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, somewhat, I, I mean, I have a car. I drive a car. I, I can't say
3: as a, I've had to be a, a some sort of act of self-loathing if I were a politician who hates car drivers. I think yeah. they're great, particularly in my part of London. You well, know, they generate be, an
2: awful lot of business for this country. If it wasn't for car drivers, there would be literally no money in any government coffers. You, well, you put your finger on it. So there's two things. One
3: is the money that gets raised directly mm. from it: fuel tax, uh, car tax, all yeah. the other taxes and charges, and parking right. charges and fines and so on. But the other bit that never gets talked about drives me mad the whole point of a transport and communication system is to allow people to get to places to Mm. do business. So if you slow that down, if you make it harder, more difficult, slower for people to get around, whether it's a van driver doing deliveries or somebody taking their friends out for a night out somewhere or whatever they're doing... Every single one of those things, you make it slower, there's less of it. And if there's less of it, mm. that is the definition of well, this is of the recession. problem they're
2: having in places like Newcastle, where taxi drivers now will not enter in to the charge, charging zone. So you can't drop people off there. So people are not going there as much uh, as they used to. And the same in Glasgow, where they've got a place where you can't even pay to go in. You just get fined if you do. So there's an awful lot of businesses that are now suffering as a result of that, and that's happening all over the country. Yeah, France is
3: bringing some of this in. France, of course, I won't even describe the system. I I was looking at it over the weekend. It's even more ludicrously complicated than ours. Well, it must
2: be, surely. Except
3: for example, I'll take for example. One is they create create an area where a charge might happen, and then the mayor of that area can decide on any given day whether they will or won't. So you
2: don't know if you're going to be fined.
3: No. Uh, and, that and is it, particularly it, French, and, isn't it? it no is. wonder they're
2: always burning things. <laughs> and
3: then the charge is not really, again, as you say, it's not a charge, it's mm. like a ban. So if you've got a, a non-compliant vehicle, you just can't go in. Right. So it's a fine, really, yeah. rather than a charge. Exactly I, w- right. I would say £12.50 is more of a fine than a charge. Well, it
2: absolutely is. It's ridiculously expensive. But, but we'll come back to all of that. Neil Garrett's here with Conservative London Assembly. Of course, uh, we have got to talk about other things apart from the car business. But the car business is bad enough. We'll talk about silly degrees as well. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the state of play. Uh, of what is going on in this country as well. The fifth day, by the way, uh, of the junior doctors' strike today. So we're going to be talking about the NHS as well. If you've got a story for us of what happened to you over the weekend, by all means, do tell us. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV.
1: Jo's just passed
0: her driving test. Well, you know what this calls for. A McFlurry run. Gang <laughs> girls, the new Lotus Biscoff McFlurry is here. This round's on me. Crunchy caramel vibes coming our way. The new Lotus Biscoff McFlurry just dropped. Enjoy caramelised biscuit pieces topped with the delicious caramel sauce when you meet for a McFlurry. (laughs) Available from the 21st of June until the 1st of August. Subject to availability. With her new iPhone 14 and its powerful dual camera system, Jade can take perfect holiday pics in the glorious British sunshine or the
4: inevitable British rain
0: capture stunning photos in any light on iPhone 14. And in the Vodafone sale, it's just £38 per month plus £19 up front. That's £144 saving. Vodafone. Save £144 on 8 gig 24-month airtime plan. CPI plus 3.9% credit check, verifications in terms at Vodafone.co.uk slash mobile.
5: Credit by Vodafone.
4: At Morrison's, even more prices have been lowered and locked. Like our Honeyloop cereal was £129, now £95p, and our four-pint semi-skimmed milk was £155, now £145. So that's more slow up the extra milk at the end. More to shop at Morrison's. Majority of stores subject to availability. Honey Loops, 375 grams. Subway series menu? I'm not letting someone else choose what goes on my sub. You really think you can compete with a sandwich artist? This isn't strictly comfort long. I'm more than an artist, I'm an innovator.
6: Well, I'm getting a big breakfast: Crispy bacon, sausage, hash browns and eggs. Yes, please.
4: And I'm getting ham... And cheese. Wow.
6: I'm in awe of your genius.
2: Create your own or choose from the new series menu. There's now two ways to subway.
1: Which way are you? Your way from driveway to motorway. Talk Radio. Travel
4: update. Angus, part of the A92 remains closed both ways at Canaba, where there are repairs happening at the Lawrence Kirk turn-off... There are long delays away from Chepstow towards the M4, where there's been an accident closing the eastbound carriageway towards Junction 21 from the second seven crossing approach. Staffordshire, no access to part of the A515 through Kings Bromley. Great Yarmouth, Lawn Avenue is closed. The main A149 at the Fullers Hill roundabout, where there's been an accident. I'm Sarah Elliott.
0: Talk radio, powered by common sense, activated by opinion. Free speech radio. On the air. On the
1: air smart speaker and on the money Talk Radio Talk Radio and Talk TV
6: Clear-headed, honest opinion
1: Watch live on Freesat Channel 217 On Apple TV and Samsung TV Plus Listen live on DAB+. Ask your smart speaker to play Talk TV and get access to exclusive content by downloading the Talk TV mobile app. Available for free now from the App Store and Google Play. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Online on DAB+. Talk Radio and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're here with Neil Garrett from the Conservative uh, London Assembly Party. Uh, Neil, we should, before we move on from the ULES thing, just say um, at the moment, um, basically they're saying they don't have the technology to do this uh, drive per mile. What, what technology what actually is it? Is it, is it camera-based or is it... Because I always wondered if it would be road-based or yep. what, you know. So, so they can't put tolls in, can they? Yeah, so, so it's interesting. For something that they're not working
3: on and don't know anything about, we've been able to find quite a lot about what mm. they're working on. So it, I I think if you put the pieces together, if you ask them directly, they'll deny it. But if you put the pieces together of what they've said, it seems clear what they're they're planning on is uh, an app for your phone, possibly also like a little box you can put in your car that's a GPS tracker. Every time you're driving, it clocks up like a taxi meter. So Uh you've got a taxi meter in your own car, clocking up at the end of your journey. So it's a bit like a sort of tachometer almost. Exactly like that. Which is old
2: technology, isn't
3: it? It is. Well, it it would be like a GPS, a bit the same kind of thing that Uber drivers have, of course, that tracks them moving around, except you using your own car. And then, But then that needs a backstop, because obviously what if you just get in your car and drive and you don't tell anybody? Right. There needs to be a camera network to pick you up and then fine you for not telling anybody. OK.
2: So, so they're not going to give you an app th- to use, which would be sorry, a government app, which you would then have to be uh, available at all times on. Whenever you got into your car, it would go, ping! I think that is
3: exactly the plan. Yeah. See, that's frightening terrifying.
2: to me. That really yeah. is not something I think most people listening to this show and watching it would want, you know. No. Because I was, funny enough, I told this story, uh, I was in Cyprus, uh, couple couple of weeks ago um, on a golf cart and the golf cart was able to be stopped if you went the wrong way so like you know it was one of these courses it was, it was very you know long big brother is distances, watching got a yeah, big red button. and suddenly if you weren't sure which way you were going it, the thing it would just stop and it would give you a warning and say please go back this is not this is not a cartway or whatever um, wow. but it's the first time I've ever seen them being able to stop a, a vehicle so presumably if you hand over all of your um control to the government, the local government, they might decide, well... You've got, uh, had too many fines, uh, so you won't be able to start your car. Well, I don't think it'll be that, because it'll be an app on your phone. But what it will be is, every, it, you know,
3: you'll tell it you're driving, yeah. Uh, and as soon as you start driving, it will track where you're going. Yes. A lot of people, of course, have a great deal of concerns about this. Interestingly, the Green Party say they do, but I suspect whatever scheme comes forward, there's actually a lot supporting.
2: of MPs who quite like going somewhere where they're not supposed to be. But that's obviously another you, story. You, you might very well think that, that might. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, but no, it is, but, I mean, but that's it is, what the plan is. That is what the plan this is. Whole Big Brother thing. Yeah. You know, it's all very well to say oh, we're doing it for the revenue. But what do they do with the information? You know, what what do they do with he, with, with he, tracking everywhere I've been, for example, or everywhere you've been?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, so what they will tell you. Well, firstly, he will tell you it's not for the money. Of course, it's for cleaning up the air and blah blah blah. But yes, anyway, it's, it's obviously but for No, nobody buys money. that anymore. No, nobody does. If
2: it was actually about clean air, they would stop you from driving. They wouldn't actually say you can pay to pollute the air, which is effectively what you. Yeah, is. exactly.
3: So, so. Um, the so the, the, say the apple will track you round the, the challenge will be that so they will say that the data systems keep all the data secure the problem is so my, my background in IT so I yeah. speak with some authority on this right. the weak point is always the people yeah the weak point is always the people somebody gets bribed somebody is stupid somebody makes a mistake somebody you know the, um, sort of biohacking as it's called where you basically you hack a system by persuading a person who's got legitimate access to give yeah. you the access to the stuff that they've got people or even just people People may leak it just for their own ego, you know, because they get to go and talk to a journalist and then see what they've said, you know, an inside source
2: says. Mm.
3: This is how this this information will will come out, Mm. even without it being hacked. And of course, it may yet also be hacked.
2: And I mean, one of the big problems that we've got in this country at the moment, and I speak to you as an elected representative of, of an area, is that people feel disenfranchised to a large extent from their representatives. They feel as though you guys spend our money without really much regard for where it's come from and what's going to happen when you do spend it. And I'm, I'm not accusing you, obviously, because you're not in power at the moment in, the, in that yeah. building. But, you know, the government in general spends an awful lot of our money and talks to us as though it's their money. And we're kind of going, well, hang on, that's our money you're giving away. So I, I absolutely get why people feel that way. and To be honest, I feel that way, which is mm. partly why I,
3: rather than moan about it, stood for office. Yeah, right. So I'm the person in so the So that's a good thing. And what have saying- you found
2: since you've become... In that case, um, a representative of the people. That that I mean, I can't say about Westminster,
3: because I'm not in Westminster, but in City Hall, it's absolutely true. And actually, it's it's almost more insidious than what you've described. Mm. It's more a sense that the people who kind of operate there feel that they know best yeah. and that they're implementing their plan for, your, for you, yeah. for the goodness of you, because they know best how your life should be run. Yes. There's so much of that. It drives me absolutely mad, mm. absolutely mad. And, and there's so much... A lot of that, of course, is what they would say is the true motive behind you, Les, and road user right. charging, all that stuff. You shouldn't be in your car. The explicit purpose of the policy is to price people off the road so that well, so that rich people are on the roads. They don't say that bit out loud, mm. but it, it would mean that you're supposed to not be in your car, because you're supposed to be in your bicycle. Because the people who are
2: damaged mostly by these kinds of green policies, and they are green policies to it's not. at least really, people are hiding behind the green energy campaign. We've got this story in The Telegraph today about uh, Labour wanting 3,000 more wind turbines for their net zero plan to come into effect. I was listening to a climate change expert this morning on another station saying that basically they know that even if we were to stop all... Um, emissions, every single emission in the world today, nothing would change for decades. Nothing would change for decades. And we've got these alarmists telling us that, you know, the hot weather in Italy and Spain and, uh, and even in the desert, in Death Valley in America, is it's hotter hot in than it's Death ever Valley, been. It? It's very hot in Death Valley, apparently. Again, uh, in fact, it's always hot in Death Valley. But, you know, these alarmists are really, you know... Getting to people, there are, there are young people nowadays who suffer from climate anxiety, apparently, because they're worried the world's going to end. I mean, I do think... So I think a couple of things
3: about that. One is, I think that there's. it has become almost cult-like... Which I think is unhelpful. So if if the message that they're trying to convey is this is an urgent problem, we need to do something about it, then telling people that it's a catastrophe and the sky is falling down, it makes people feel that the whole thing's hopeless. So mm. why bother? Right. So that's, is it counterproductive. Yeah,
2: or it's over the top alarmist, and it, and it's not worth paying any attention to. Yeah, exactly.
3: It's the um, the, the sort of chicken little problem. Yeah. But the, the other thing is often the solutions they advocate are are, are unhelpful. Mm. I mean, I I think that if you know. The objective is to decarbonise our electricity and also to electrify lots of the stuff that's currently not electrified. That means we need dramatically more electricity. That is zero carbon. Well, the only thing that's going to do that is nuclear, right. not some wind turbines. Have some wind turbines, if you like. But I think that going down that road is a waste of time. We should be just building yeah.
2: these like these new
3: small but modular again, reactors. But again, I wish
2: you were in government in that case because the <laughs> government doesn't think now. I remember Grant Schapp saying to me once, don't you want to be the world leader in uh, onshore wind? And I went, not really. You know, I'd rather just have cheap energy, which is what people now want. People want cheap energy. And if you could make it cheap and green, then great, people will have it. But if you're going to make it expensive and green, no thanks. Che- cheap energy, cheap energy, and cheap food, these are things I've been talking about for a
3: long time, and people called me mad. But they are exactly the thing that, are, I mean, we're having an inflation problem at the moment, and it's energy and, fu- and food that are big problems. People yeah. get quite snobby about the idea of cheap food, and they get quite sniffy about the idea of cheap energy. Yeah. But if you look at the period of economic growth that happened, particularly through the m- middle of the 20th century, it was entirely driven by normal things that people buy, that want to buy, becoming cheaper and more mm. plentiful, whether it's energy, well, it's cars, told, not to on It's still progress, isn't it? It's called it, you yeah. know,
2: some of these just up all types wants to go back to the Stone Age yeah. and cycle around everywhere, um, not to use any any air conditioning of any kind. You know, basically, don't even have a fridge. Well, there's really don't interesting. Don't bother washing your clothes. Yeah.
3: Well, I was going to say it's a really interesting book that somebody wrote a few years ago called "Where's My Flying Car," yeah. and it made a really interesting point that if you look at how much energy was used per person through 19th and 20th century, it kept going up and up and up, and it mm. correlated with people being better off. You know, less infant mortality, longer lifespans. Yeah healthier lives and then it tailed off and it's continuing to tail off and we haven't got back on the idea that actually we need to find a way to create abundance Abundance of energy, mm. abundance of all the things well, that we need. Well, there is an
2: abundance of all these things, though. It's just that the people who are supplying those things are telling us that there might not be an abundance if we don't do something about it. And therefore, they have to start charging us all kinds of, you know, surcharges in order to, to safeguard that. Mm. But in a, it's a construct. You know, the whole thing is a construct that nobody can actually get their hand, ha- hands on or get their heads around.
3: Well, there is a sort of political consensus. Going back to your point about, you know, political consensus... There is a kind of political consensus that we all need to kind of tuck our yeah. belts in
2: a bit, and we need to be very. But cautious that's all very well, apart from the people who are running the country. The, who are not tucking their belts in at all. I, I was just going to
3: say that the pe- the people who go on TV, I suppose here I am on TV saying it. But anyway, the people who go on TV and say that earn above average, and I earn yeah. above average. I'm not, not even talking. I'm not average. even talking
2: about personally, uh, you know, tightening their belts. I'm talking about the government spending that has been mm. going on. It's been prodigious in the past ten years. We have become a much bigger government in terms of what it does for the people of this country. And I don't think people want that. I think they want smaller government. I think they want less expenditure. I think they want more tax cuts. So they want to keep more of their own money. And if some party would come along and do that, you would expect it to be the Conservative Party. But they're not doing it. I would like to say that it was. I mean, yeah.
3: I mean, wind turbines are a good example of that, though, because if there's if there's a way of generating energy which is which is um, which is sort of cost efficient, cost effective. You would expect a combination of business and technology development would provide that. This yeah. is how all of the things that we have, you know, these phones and everything else that we have, that's how it was developed. Not with subsidies and sort of government yeah. pushing it, right. but by people going, this is great, I'll have more of that, mm. and people developing better versions yeah. of it. This
2: this is how it all works. It should work that way, but somehow we've run into the sand in some way, shape or form. But Neil, listen, thank you very much, indeed for coming in. Uh, We'll talk to you some more, I'm sure, before the election next year. Uh, Neil Grant, Conservative at the London Assembly. Uh, We've got more coming up. Lord Bethel is going to join us to talk to us about why the Tories are missing yet another target. That's building more hospitals. We'll find out what that's about. This is Talk TV.
1: The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Quick talk. Double talk. talk. Bold talk. Kevin O'Sullivan. This afternoon from three on talk radio and talk TV.
7: Breaking news, big guests and live
0: debate
1: across the UK.
0: It's just ridiculous.
5: Absolute nonsensical
0: wokery. Two stroke talk in the afternoon. And in the end, we will be victorious
5: because it doesn't make any sense.
1: Kevin O'Sullivan. This afternoon from three on talk radio and talk TV talk radio and talk tv open discussion healthy debate watch online at talk.tv listen live on dab ask your smart speaker to play talk tv and get access to exclusive content by downloading the talk tv mobile app available for
0: free now from the app store and google play
1: this is the home of common sense talk radio and talk tv On the app, on your smart speaker, talk radio and talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. This is of course the place to be for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We're going to be talking NHS coming up very shortly. Uh, but we've got many things to talk about as well throughout the course of the day. How about this? Um I, a Green Councillor, Jamie Osborne on Norfolk County Council, has proposed that the council tax people who fly more than once a year. Does that mean a return flight gets taxed one way as it counts as two flights? Look it up in the Eastern Daily Press. He is an inexperienced idiot. Uh, that's from somebody who doesn't give a name. Well, this is the trouble with the Green Brigade, right? The Green Party cannot actually get very many votes in any particular situation. They don't really need to because there are so many green um, aspects of all parties now. I mean, if you ask me if the government uh, in the current state of affairs is a green government, I'd say, well, it kind of is because they're trying to impose these green taxes on us. They're trying to uh, tell us that net zero is something we must achieve. They're trying to make sure uh, that whatever the Conservative Party policy is on the environment, that it appeals to people uh, who are generally more green Green than less green. But uh, Benedict in Wigan says this. Hi, Mark. A good point from Howard Cox yesterday on Talk TV with Richard Tice. MOTs for vehicles have a particulate matter smoke test, which they have to pass. So doesn't that mean all cars that pass their MOT over three years old are exempt from the crazy ulo zones? Well, they should be. I mean, I think the problem for people uh, trying to understand what the rules are going to be in the ULEZ zone and to qualify uh, is that it tends to be older cars and older vans and older vehicles that are going to get hit with a charge. And it's going to make it more difficult for people with cars which are older. So if you buy a newer car, you're more likely to be OK. But if you don't have one, you're more likely to having to pay out. But if they bring in this uh, road charging so that every time you get in your car, you basically have to pay to drive. How is that in any way um, applicable if you're already paying road tax? That means you're effectively paying two types of road tax, which, quite frankly, is a ripoff, isn't it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got plenty to do. and We've got plenty of time to take your calls, of course, as well. So do uh, please keep them coming. Uh, a couple of uh, weather-related ones coming in as well. Mark says, "Nobody's mentioning that the sun's solar activity is near its peak of its 11-year cycle. Maybe that's contributing to the hotter temperatures around the world. Well, we keep seeing hotter temperatures, but we keep also being told it hasn't been this hot since 1945 or it hasn't been this hot since 1973 or it hasn't been this hot since 1913. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that it is all cyclical, doesn't it? Let's talk to Lord Bethel, a former Conservative Health Minister, of course, because one story uh, in The Times today says new hospitals plan uh, is poor value and still risks a shortfall of beds. And this is a report uh, that's been made by the National Audit Office, it says the government's new hospital programme is already behind schedule and is now expected to deliver only 32 of the intended target of 40 new hospitals by 2030. Well, that's not bad, is it? 32 out of 40. I mean most people would take that as an exam result. Uh, Lord Bethel, very good morning to you.
5: Yes, if, if it was an exam though, it would be 32 C grade hospitals rather than the kind of (laughs) A-plus hospitals that we were all rather hoping for. Yes,
2: and I'm told that this story, like many of these stories, is not quite what it would seem. We were just talking to Neil Garrett there, and he was saying that there's one... One of the hospitals earmarked was in his constituency down in Sutton, or in his neighbourhood, and one of the reasons it's not happening is because there's opposition uh, from other parties down there. Well, it it, it is a very
5: complicated situation. Uh, You're right. Um, You have in your, your mind's eye... Forty gleaming, brand new, uh, lovely hospitals, yes. and that's very much what we thought we were uh, going to be getting. And, and that's what, as a minister, I helped sell in to the electorate um, back in the back in the election. And um, that vision has downgraded it a long way, and and that's a problem because we have three combined problems. We have the um, state of our current hospitals is being uh, hit hard by the reduction in the capital budget. We have a capacity problem that we don't have enough beds. And we have a workforce problem that our retention and Um, skills base uh, means that we haven't got enough people uh, working in those hospitals. Those three
2: things combined are proving to be extremely expensive. Yeah, I'm sure. Is it not time that somebody started saying what the actual truth is about the NHS, though, which is that basically the NHS has been broken by the NHS, by the people who run the NHS, by those who should be tasked with running it efficiently? But who have not done so, despite increasing amounts of money being given to them over years, you know, two hundred billion quid practically goes in, and what comes out is worse than we had last year. You kind of go in no other business would that be acceptable?
5: I'm not sure it's that quite that simple. Um, you are right that we've never had a moment when we, we have spent as much on the on health uh, in the round. Uh, but scapegoating the NHS managers for um, mistakes that have lasted a generation, I don't think, get sca- very productive there are three things that we've got wrong one is we have a very unhealthy society we've got too much sickness in our society so it's our fault Uh,
2: well i think collectively i don't see that i honestly don't see that surely you're not scapegoating managers in the nhs by pointing out that they haven't managed it very well surely to god that's that's just a criticism which is surely apt isn't it
5: no i think that um the cards that they've been dealt with the wrong cards and I, i mean the dealers are the politicians here Um, We have put all of our bets on the hospitals. We've been running a sickness service promising the British people that we will cure them when they uh, fall ill. But that's only part of it. We've run our social care system down uh, so that it's not an effective um, carer for those who need ongoing chronic problems. Uh, And we haven't done nearly enough to prevent disease in the first place. Not nearly as much as other countries that have much, much lower um, uh, rates of sickness and who catch disease much earlier. And it's very expensive to deal with advanced disease compared with uh, early treatment. What sort of
2: disease are you talking about?
5: Well, take cancer. Cancer uh, in the UK, uh, we we catch it at stages three and four far too often. Uh, our our um, uh, diagnostic rates are extremely poor. And therefore, our recovery rates are the lowest in comparable nations. And it puts a huge cost on those managers who are trying to run uh, hospitals where people are staggering in, literally uh, heart, uh, you know, t- too ill uh, and uh, struggling with disease, instead of catching it early right. where something much cheaper could help them out.
2: Well, why is it not being caught earlier?
5: Well, our mentality, our doctrine, the way in which we go around health uh, in this country is completely wrong. We don't do nearly enough to health check people to uh, prioritise those groups who we know are, are more likely to be ill and to intervene really early in their illness. A good example is diabetes. Six million people with diabetes. Oh, my goodness. That's so expensive. No wonder our health system uh, is creaking. And, and, that's, and type two, that's, that's type two, presumably. That's type two and very early diabetes. So that's the biggest number. Right. But a lot of those people, when, when they have their heart attacks or when they are fighting cancer, because they're carrying either obesity or diabetes, they will, they will cost a lot more and struggle a lot harder to fight other diseases. And that's what we saw in COVID. We saw that the inherent illness and sickness of the country meant that people were just in not in very good shape uh, to fight the horrible COVID virus. And that's why our ICU units um, fell over as quickly as they did. And that's why we have one, one of the contributing reasons for why we have
2: recovered as slowly as we have Well, done. one of the contributing reasons as well is that people who did have other issues during COVID weren't able to be seen by a doctor. And so their conditions worsened. I've spoken to people who rang this show uh, who told me that, you know, uh, we've now been diagnosed with stage four cancer um, I'm probably going to die before the end of the year. And they would said to me, if I could have seen a doctor two years earlier, I'd probably have a chance of surviving it. So, you know, the NHS, uh, and whether that, you blame the government for that or not, um, the shutdown of the NHS for, all, for everything but COVID for two years has made it even worse, hasn't it? Well, uh, I,
5: the stories that you just mentioned, I, I totally um, agree with the testimony. Uh, I've heard those stories and the statistics bear them out. Uh, peop- that's what the waiting lists mean. They mean that people like your friends who should be treated today are having to wait 6 to 12 months. And that means their recovery chances and their recovery rate and the amount of money spent on helping them recover are all bad news. But it wasn't that the health system shut down. It was that it was drowned by dealing with with the results of covid uh, actually, not really.
2: No, that's not true either. Because I can also tell you testimony of people who tried to see GPs, and the GP surgeries were effectively closed. People couldn't yes. go to GP surgeries. I remember famously a picture that somebody sent me of a sign on the outside of a GP surgery that said, "Please do not enter if you are unwell," and you're going, "Sorry," yeah. you know. Well,
5: right. You, 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 I mean, you're you're, you're right. Uh, um, GP surgeries, quite rightly. Shut down because if you have a highly contagious respiratory disease, the last thing you want to do is cram ill people into a confined space. There's, that makes no sense at all. What well, like in a fact, hospital? Medicine and the 111 that we put in place did a very good job, and and that's just an unfortunate consequence of a rampant respiratory contagious disease. What yeah, but is, the, but the, in <laughs> the, in the is, end the end the, result,
2: the, though, Lord Bethel, was that most countries had pretty much the same death rates, pretty much across the across the entire globe so the same numbers potentially of, of percentage wise people who died were the same kinds of people who died older more, more unwell you know overweight that was generally speaking the, the 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 sort of particular quotient of people that died an awful lot of ordinary people who didn't have particularly anything wrong with them got covid and survived by vast majority
5: well the, no the death rates were quite different There are three things that made a big difference one is the vaccine rollout uh, was different we had uh, a very prompt, uh, effective, and comprehensive vaccine. rollout that made a massive difference uh, for the UK. But obesity rates are different. So the two standout countries are Britain and America. Because of our higher obesity rates, we were much uh, harder hit than, For instance, uh, Japan and many Asian countries that have lower uh, o- obesity rates. And then thirdly um, was the uh, medical provision. And overall, the medical provision in the UK is very good. We, we are down on the NHS today because our waiting lists and the strikes and the 40 hospitals. But I, I don't think we should um, forget that um, we have one of the best systems in the world. It is free uh, uh, at the point of access and over COVID did deliver a great result for those who caught COVID.
2: Uh, maybe. I think you'd probably get a very mixed picture on that if you asked the general population. But you were a Conservative Health Minister, Lord Bethel. Um, So what did you do when you were a health minister to make it better?
5: Well, we had a we had an idea for trying to use this awful epidemic to good effect to try to bring in some innovations that would accelerate the modernisation of the NHS. And that includes the use of data, the use of diagnostics. Uh, and changing roles within the NHS to bring a wider variety of people, the technicians, the pharmacists, uh, the nurses, and to bring them much nearer the, the front line of decision making. And some of that has happened, but I am disappointed, frankly, Mike, that a lot of that has fallen behind and that we are stuck in treacle around strikes and admin changes and chasing uh, waiting lists instead of trying to fundamentally reform the doctrine around which we we run the NHS, putting prevention much higher.
4: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC.
5: Up uh, the priority list and using technology to greater advantage.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably a great idea if it was possible to do it. But the problem is that a doctrine is a lot slower to turn around uh, than a hospital. You know, if you just made the NHS more efficient it would be a better working re- model and that people would have a better working relationship perhaps with it. But at the moment, I know so many people who don't trust the NHS, who don't want to go to a hospital because they're not sure whether they'll come out of it alive. You know, they really honestly don't believe this to be the best system in the world. No other country in the world uses a system like this because it's, it's unwieldy. It's too big and it doesn't work.
5: But if I can pick one thing you said there, I violently agree with is people don't like going to hospital yeah it's a, it's a, one of the things that we found in covid you know the nhs does sometimes fetishize the big hospitals they are um economically efficient and they do deliver very high services but people hate going to hospital i hate going to hospital we should be doing a lot more health in the community we should be enabling gps and pharmacists and and other areas of health to be uh, doing a lot more work we should have uh, diagnostic hubs in high streets and in shopping centres, and we should be helping people to do a lot more health at home. You know, we did do COVID tests on those uh, lateral flow devices in your own home. That's the future of healthcare: is consumer diagnostics, taking uh, taking a lot of treatment into people's uh, communities, so they never need to go. A much smaller proportion of people ever need to go to scary hospitals, which, which frankly put a lot of people
2: off you're right. Yeah, there used to be walk-in centers um, all over the place which have all been shut down now. Nobody runs them anymore. Nobody knows why. You know, people can't get to see their GP because a lot of GPs are working 3 days a week because it's not uh, sort of financially efficient for them to do any more than that. You know, there's all sorts of things that you could fix literally overnight. You know, open more I- walk-in centers, pay people proper, you know, pay the doctors to actually work and don't tax them so much that they don't want to do the 3 day week.
5: You're right. There is a program for community diagnostic hubs, um, and the government is working towards around 120, 130 of them. I think there should be three, four, five times that number. Every high street, every shopping center should have an NHS diagnostic hub. Some of them should be run by the private sector, and they should be easily accessible places where mums, dads, older people, kids can go in and have a lot of the basic treatment and diagnostic um, interventions that form a huge proportion of the NHS's uh, waiting list and really, really don't need to be done in the great um, megalith hospitals that are often out of town, inconvenient to get to, highly infectious, (laughs) and frankly, scary for a lot of the public.
2: Yeah, and you have to pay to park as well. But there we are. Lord Bethel, thank you very much indeed. Good to talk to you. A former Conservative health minister says uh, the NHS isn't broken because the NHS broke it. Uh, It's broken because it's our fault. The doctrines are all wrong. People don't look at health the way that they should. Really? Tell us what your story is. 0344 499 1000 is the number. I mean, it's no wonder the NHS has been running to the ground with that kind of attitude, is it? This is Talk TV. On
1: DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
2: Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got lots to do and we've got plenty of time to do it and we're here, of course, until 1 o'clock. How's it about this from uh, somebody who doesn't give a name? Mike, Uh, Ray, just stop all protests. Police should have a payment app on their phones and issue on the spot £5,000 fines to each and every protester breaking the law. Issue an ASBO and nick them if they are given a ticket three times. £100 fines, £500,000 possibly. See if Dale Vince will cover those. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, What's going on at the moment is that uh, there's a a 21-gun salute or a 41-gun salute, uh, I should say, by the King's Troop Royal Horse Artillery. Uh, The battery is firing over in Green Park. Uh, It's been going on for about the last five or six minutes. Uh, It is a celebration of her first official birthday, basically, uh, as she turns 76 um because she was now uh, she's been the queen for a year uh, the first year basically since the um the coronation service at Westminster Abbey uh, on the 6th of May so um lots going on uh, around all of that of course uh, Mike I worked for Saudi Aramco at their Shea oil field located in an empty quarter of one of the hottest places on earth for two years temperatures were that high that they broke the thermometer but it was fine I enjoyed it and I'm still alive Well, this is the thing. I mean, some of the hysteria around the weather reporting is quite frankly ludicrous. The idea that America is being battered by, um, you know, tornadoes and burned to a crisp by the hot sun in Death Valley. Well, Death Valley is one of the hottest places on Earth and is registered as the hottest place on Earth almost every single year. It goes over 50 degrees there all the time. That's why it's called Death Valley, for heaven's sake. And in parts of Arizona, which are technically actually a desert, it does get quite hot. But in New York City, actually, they're having a relatively cool July so far. When I lived there, it used to go well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit every single summer from July till the end of August. It was that hot. It was dreadful. But let's talk to Serge Kefai, uh, head teacher at Sacred Heart School in London, because a story coming out today from the government um, is that basically Rishi Sunak wants to do away uh, with false dreams and false hopes and bad degrees and dodgy degrees. He wants them uh, to be not offered any longer to people who go to university because he says they're being basically ripped off. The university's watchdog wants to improve standards. They want to include a cap, in terms of student numbers going to courses where a high proportion of people doing those courses don't go on to a professional job or further education. In other words, they waste their money on further education instead of doing something practical. Serge, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome.
8: Afternoon, Mike. Nice to see you. Yeah, good
2: to talk to you. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, there seems to be two schools of thought on this one. Um, Some people believe, and the Labour Party, I think, count themselves as as one of these groups, um, that this will limit... The kind of creativity and it will limit opportunity for uh, children from sort of less well-off backgrounds Uh, other people of course say well quite right some of these university degree courses are ridiculous they're just about making money for the for the uh, for the universities themselves what do you make of it
8: well i'm in the latter camp i'm sick to death of sending kids to university doing mickey mouse courses which ultimately don't lead to a job and what does that mean? Society was probably has to uh, look after them, don't they? Yeah. And uh, so I think he doesn't go far enough. Instead of leaving himself open to the trendy Wendy left, giving exactly the same sort of comment that you just made, why don't we actually turn it around a little bit? And because I'm sick of it, I've heard you often enough, you're sick of being told of how we've got all sorts of vacancies in certain jobs. Yeah. Well, why don't we just say, well, for those jobs that society needs, we will actually pay your student fees and therefore, and when we've trained you up, you will actually work for the public sector, you will work for the NHS. If you want to then disappear to another country, then you'll have to pay back your your fees. So rather than leave himself open to, as I've already mentioned, the trendy Wendy nose ring ponytail brigade, who think the idea of going to university is just for the sake of three years having fun as opposed to what I and I know you think it should lead to a job and a job that contributes to the society they live in. Uh, So he needs to go a bit further but definitely let's stop these Mickey Mouse courses and if they do want to take you know the life and death of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck That I charge
2: them double. Yeah, if you're going to be that stupid, you might as well uh, be rinsed. I mean, they probably all end up standing in a just stop oil. Um, picket line, you know, walking slowly through Holborn or something like that. But but it's true, I mean, the problem with, with, with the university sector, it seems to me, is that they're now all about money. They seem to spend a great deal of their time attracting foreign students to come to this country, because we know that of the 1.2 million people who came here from abroad, you know, um, in 2022, a very large proportion of them came here to study at university, and it's become a massive industry.
8: Yeah, and what are they do with their nine and a half grand? Uh, the average amount a head teacher will get per pupil is about between five and six. And we have to provide education, at least six lessons a day, 36 weeks a year, etc., etc. Um, you've had kids through uni. I know I have. Yeah. Everything's online. They don't meet a tutor. Right. What the hell are they doing with their money in any case? But I go back to my initial point. You know, the university, the education system is supposed to serve society. I think we need to just go right back to the beginning. Let's get all employers in a great big room, if there's one big enough, and let's ask them, what do you want? What skills do you want taught for your for the future employers? What sort of things do you want taught? And let's, if necessary, let's look at the curriculums. Let's give society what it needs. I just go back to the point where it's supposed to lead to a job, Mike. It's supposed to serve our society. And so much of education now has lost the plot And uh, I don't know if it's retrievable, but all this nonsense talk about enrichment, well, it needs to lead to a job.
2: And as far as your sort of uh, school is concerned, Serge, you know, you've got a common sense attitude to, to, to school and probably to further in higher education as well. You know, what do you tell your kids and what do your teachers tell your kids there? Not sure if we've lost Serge. We may have done. He may not have. As good of a line as we thought. We'll come back to Serge as soon as we can. The story basically is that the government wants to improve standards at universities and they want to say to universities, if you're basically teaching modules, if you're teaching degree courses, which don't result in somebody getting a job afterwards, then we're going to say don't sell that course to anybody because it's a rip off. And I think that's right. Serge, we just lost you there as I was asking how Sorry, how, yeah. how you advise your youngsters when they're, when they're sort of getting into, you know, uh, GCSEs and A-levels about what they should be looking to do. Because obviously well, there's there's apprenticeships, there's training programmes that you can do without going to university.
8: Well, it's not only the youngsters I, need to, I talk to, it's the parents from the get-go. Right. You know, we want these children to be able to bring up their kids and lead good lives. And ultimately, I don't want them leaving university and going on the dole and feeling that they're too good to go picking fruit or whatever it might right. be. You know, they, they have to understand that um, whatever university course, and for some, I have to say, university is not the right place. We need to reintroduce the old-fashioned apprenticeships that we knew that meant something, you know, instead of just bringing people in from Eastern Europe to do all these manual jobs that we are in desperate need of and uh, but everything needs looking at again and uh, with this bunch and most probably the next bunch you know i don't know if these politicians understand you know i I used to think it was incompetence i used to think it was ignorance i don't know who their advisors are i just think it's indifference they're they're doing all right their kids will be fine and they don't seem to care about society and everybody else but uh, kids are getting in the neck at the moment for the last goodness knows how many years and someone has to recalibrate. And I think it's relying on channels like yours to actually tell it as it is. We want our kids leaving education and going to a job that they'll enjoy, that is worthwhile, and will contribute to the society they live in. I can't go further than that.
2: No, I don't think you need to, and neither neither should you, really. Um, But, you know, I thought we had moved away already from from this. I mean, certainly I've got uh, kids who who didn't go to university because they didn't really want to. They didn't think there was any point. Um, And they've done probably just as well as anybody who would have gone. Uh, They found themselves a a career. They found themselves something that they were good at and something that made them happy. Um, And, you know, they're, they're doing absolutely fine. And I think we've made a massive error. Uh, since the Blair years by telling teenagers that you have to go to university to somehow be a success.
8: Yeah, and and undervaluing some vital skills and talents that we are in desperate need of. And I think that's, you're right, it's, it's during the Blair years where I think it began, where everybody should go to university. For some children, it's not the right place. And to do a, a rubbish course that doesn't end up in a job and end up paying 40-odd grand, it really is crazy. And listen he's in the, he's on the right lines i think he should go further and let's be positive about the the opportunities that we do need you know we do need nurses doctors etc engineers and let's bring back apprenticeships and let's make kids think feel good about not necessarily going to university
2: absolutely right And what's it been like for you this year, Serge? We haven't spoken as much um, this year as we did the previous years when there was, you know, all sorts of things going on with COVID and all the rest of it. Um, What sort of year have you had as a a head?
8: As a head, I think, unfortunately, I'm at the right end of my career after 44 years. I think we'll look back, Mike, and uh, will this be a Jimmy Savile moment where we look back 10 years' time and think, how could we put our kids through this nonsense? Yeah. How we let our children, goodness knows what they're seeing on uh, social media already. We've lost control of that. But some of the stuff that is being talked about in schools. Now, listen, I know your job and I know the media. We always like a bit of a headline story. You know, has everyone forgotten how difficult puberty is suddenly?
2: Yeah.
8: Why would you suddenly bring into play gender? Why would you suddenly get the idea that kids are the wrong gender, but it could be a bit of confusion? Puberty and adolescence is confusing enough. Let's start acting like adults. Let's start taking responsibility. Let's breed into our kids a bit of resilience, taking responsibility. As so I, at the moment, everything's somebody else's fault. Let's wait for the government to bail us out. Well, I wasn't brought up that way. Kids in my school are not told that. The first thing we talked about after COVID It wasn't about catch up and of course you're going to fail. It was, do you know what, we've had a bit of a hit, but now I'm going to give you more homework. That's the right way to bring up kids. And I think adults have forgotten it.
2: Well, there's a reason why you don't let kids self-determine everything that they do because they don't know what they're doing. And there's nothing wrong with saying that because they don't have the life skills to deal with most of what uh, they're having to decide about when they're living up to the age of 16 or 18. And your job as a, as a parent or a teacher is to help to guide them, isn't it?
8: Well, where are the adults here? And let's, let's talk about the parents because no one ever likes to talk about parental responsibility. Yeah. Let's just talk at the schools and everything else and don't worry, I've dealt with my own number of dodgy teachers and dodgy head teachers. I'm pleased to say I've got rid of most of them. But where's the parental responsibility here? They can't even take their phones off them for goodness sake when they know they're up to nonsense. And I often tell my parents, I say, who who owns the phone? Right. They don't even understand that because they pay the contract, they own the phone. So why the hell can't you take it when you know your kid is overindulgent? And they don't seem to be able to. I offer a service at our schools. You know, where I'll take it, see if they get it back off me in a hurry. Yeah, right. You know, but why can't parents do it? And I I still haven't got the answer to that. All I know is, is that this isn't going, this is not the right way to bring up children. No. And I think there is, is,
2: I think there is a deficit there. I was talking to a friend of mine who was giving a lift home to one of his son's friends the other day, 16 year old, didn't know his own postcode. Now, I'm I mean, surprised. you go, sorry, how could you not know your own postcode?
8: And, I mean, talking about phones, I mean, I end up talking to my parents as though they're my pupils. Maybe I'm old enough, I don't know. But I said, look, it's one thing to tell your child you're not using the phone, but it's pretty hard to tell them not to use the phone when you're on it yourself 24-7. Yeah,
2: exactly. Exactly You know, right.
8: start setting good examples. Because I, I'm, I mean, I'm fed up being bumped into people in the road because they're looking at their phones. You know, it's I think it's a national disease Mm. that we all must take responsibility for and we must lead as adults. And then we can start talking about the kids. The same with the the vaping thing for goodness sake. Why have we allowed people to even intimate that it's healthy for goodness sake? Why? It's never healthy to take anything into your lungs that shouldn't be there. Mm. And as far as I'm concerned, in our schools, I'll exclude kids who vape. I can tell you that for nothing. Never mind the other red lines of a knife in school drugs in school lay a hand on one of my teachers see if you come back in my school again and everyone's really happy with that because it makes sense and i'm not going to run my school with 1100 kids because of one child's got issues Mm. well let's deal with those issues but if he breaks those red lines he's going to have to deal with them in another place and i'm quite happy to support that but that is just common sense and i think i always was brought up with and i'm sure you have the old adage of common sense ain't that common Well, it's getting rarer. It it really really is.
2: It's in in very short (laughs) supply. Well, thank God for your common sense, Serge, and your school as well. And if only more schools were like that, we wouldn't be having half the problems that we've got uh, in our current society. Serge Cafe, the head teacher of the Sacred Heart School in South London, um, a man after my own heart. Common sense. It shouldn't be hard to find, but somehow it is. We'll take some calls coming next.
1: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Good afternoon, Mike, says Chris in Red Hill. Uh, I've texted you guys before. Why can't we, the government etc, intercept the boats before they get to the smugglers or is this too simple? Plus do the absolutely useless government know that the money they waste is not theirs but ours? I really am in despair at the way everything is now backwards. Also, it's taken me six weeks to get a three minute phone call from my doctor to talk about my broken Leg. Unbelievable. Absolutely extraordinary. Christine says in Surrey, it can't be beyond the wit of man to look back over the past 20 years to ascertain how many went to university, what courses were taken, what jobs do they do now, are they relevant to those courses, how many paid back their loans, how many foreign students returned home. Uh, time to drain the swamp. Plus, stop expecting nurses to have degrees. Straightforward stuff, right? Christine in Surrey's got common sense. Why hasn't the government got any? Uh, Nick is in Worcestershire. Hello, Nick.
0: Hello. How are you doing? Oh, I'm all right, bud. Um, it was just to say, 20 years ago, oh, I, yeah. I, I had a garage, you know, a motor trade. Right. And uh, we used to get kids from the school. They'd come in four days... They were kids at 14 years old They just right. weren't interested in school. They weren't academic. They are maybe good with their hands or it gave them some interest. Yes. And, and at 14 years old, they'd come to us it finished after about, I don't know, a year, maybe 18 months. It's the school or the college or whatever it was, I can't remember, right. stopped doing it. Right. So they were going at 14, bricklaying, car repair, sure. electrician, plumber. And Learned by the
2: 16, basics. they're pretty much able to do the job, right?
0: Well, at 16, they'll go into an apprenticeship, being able to be useful rather than cost the employer money yeah. in mistakes. Right. So you're so actually earning money on the job. Uh, and on the fifth day, when they're at school, they don't come into the garage or whatever job they're in or the plumber's merchant or whatever. They, they study economics. Right. They will study how to open a bank account, how to handle your money, how to work out an APR, a percentage, yeah. do this, do that. Right. It's just so basic and I think so simple to do that.
2: You would think so. It. You I just would think don't want to be so, at school. and and also, yeah. funnily enough, it's the businesses that those now um, kids used to work in that are the ones quite often that are short of people. You know, like there's exactly. always a shortage of plumbers, there's a shortage of plasterers, there's a shortage of builders. You know, there's a shortage of all manner of tradespeople, and these kids should be doing those jobs because they pay well. Yeah, and the the point is this: if they stay to sixteen, mm. and then then the
0: then the, um, the bosses or some of them have to stay to eighteen, I, um, I believe now, to make sure they get a GCE. GCSE or whatever it is, in something or another. But some of these kids, you don't need that no. in a lot of jobs. You just need to know the basics. Mm. You don't need a GCSE. So they go into the work environment at 16 when they leave school, or 17 or whatever it is now, right. and they're then, well, they're classed as pretty useless, really, aren't they, some of them, because they've well, they are. those years at school. And then when, the impl- when they start to work for the employer, like that guy I was saying, they're always on the bloody phone, they're doing this, they're doing that. You need to grab them early, Get them into a mindset, and, and I think that's the way forward. To me, university. Two of my kids didn't go; one did, but right. one's a nurse.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, she was the last one to go on the. And she did a degree. Did
2: she do a she degree? Did a degree. Yeah. yeah,
0: she's doing well. She's gone up the pay grade. She's got a good job now. Right. But my boys, um, no, they never went to university. One's into property development, and the other one is a partner in my business. Right.
2: and they're doing okay. Right. You don't
0: need uni. You need the schools to push work placements and and also to be fair without without
2: blowing smoke around you Nick you need a decent parent parents I can't even say it and a decent parent to give some decent advice about what you could end up doing because otherwise I think an awful lot of kids don't get any guidance at all well they
0: don't they're feral aren't they but that's 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 a different issue, yeah, isn't it, I think? Yeah. You know, that's hereditary. That's something that's been passed down the lines probably the last 50 years. You know, we'll live on the social, we'll get by by feeding mm. and doing this, doing that and the other. So that's down, I think, it's a social problem. But yeah. the actual, for work, I do believe, and university and further education, I do believe there are kids out there, they might not have no interest in plumbing, but they give, give it a whirl at 14, and yeah, this is okay. And then it progresses, you know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Absolutely right. Thank you very much for your call, Nick. Good one. Um, what about this? The degrees at the worst value for money, apparently, are these. Photography, translation, criminology, fine art, public administration, music, film, English literature, fashion, tourism management. Well, to be honest, I think you probably could have guessed all those. Let's talk to Brian in Salisbury. Hi, Brian. Hi, Mike. How are you doing, Harry? sir? I'm doing all right. Good. What can I do on, for you? On
6: this, on this debate about university... Um, education for youngsters. I remember, and I'm old enough to remember, the Blair New Labour days. And if you you recall back in in his time, we had a high register of unemployed youngsters. And there was a list, you know, obviously in the department, there was a list of the numbers. So what did Blair do? He said, "Okay, we'll send everybody to university and we'll transfer... The numbers from one list to another—it yeah. was a pure manipulation of figures yes. that uh, started this off, and it's just gone on and on and on. So I blame Blair and his uh, New Labour project. Yes, but, but you know what he
2: also did was he create, he also created education as a business rather than just a you know an endeavour. And and suddenly yeah. you know how ridiculous was it when they said, "Oh, you can charge up to nine thousand pounds a year for your tuition." And, of course, everybody yeah. just went, OK, we're going to charge 9,000 quid then.
6: Yeah, yeah. And so they created universities for the sake of it, they were going out of fashion. Yeah. I, I remember when I went, I was at a grammar school as a youngster up to the age of 16. Right. And if you were lucky, if you got two, or I mean, in, I'm talking about the 1950s, you were lucky if you got two or three of your, your fellow students, your colleagues, who went to university. And that was a grammar school. That was a London, well-sought-after-London grammar school. And if you got two or three went to university, that was... uh that was the, the numbers that that uh, was relevant at the time. Right. But now you got a whole fast, don't you? A whole year go to university. But like as I say, I blame Blair. I blame Blair for for a lot. But of they reason. come that, out after
2: that, three that years the and policy. they're getting they're getting paid sums of money which are all sort of twenty five thousand pounds ish. That's it. Yep. So it's not exactly you know they could have, they could have spent three years building up to a salary like that and they'd have been yep. no worse off with no debt.
6: And that figure is below the repayment figure, isn't it? Yeah. It always is. They never pay it back. So it's a, it's a complete utter waste of money. And as I say, Blair has got a lot to answer yeah. for some of the ills of this um, the country that we're in now. And that is one of them. I've always thought that, and will continue to think that, Blair just manipulated the figures.
2: He did. Absolutely right. Spot on, Brian. Thank you very much indeed for that. And, of course, um, the rest of us have been suffering ever since. Get a degree, said the man. You'll do much better uh, when you get a job. Well, it turns out that actually that's not true. An awful lot of jobs have also said they will never actually get you into uh, do an interview unless you've got a degree, which is so ridiculously kind of short-sighted. It cuts out loads of people who would have great ability and great opportunity if you were only give them a job. Sometimes it now looks like not having a degree is actually a sign of somebody who might be a little bit of an independent thinker. They didn't just uh, shuffle off to university like some kind of sheep. Coming up, uh, we've got much more to do. We're going to be talking about the state of the nation, not just in terms of the way uh, the school systems are working or university systems are working, but how tourism is taking its toll on travel around this country. This is Talk TV.
1: The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Trisha Talks,
4: fashion
0: talk, happy talk, honest talk, Trisha Goddard. The original Queen of Talk is on Talk Radio.
4: People have to think about that. Get on the guest list with the legendary Trisha Goddard. I'll be
0: coming live to you from Connecticut in the USA. A transatlantic talk show
1: with a difference. Trisha Goddard.
0: Do you think he can empathise with what
6: the British public are going through? Trisha Goddard in the afternoon. Saturday and Sundays
2: from 1 on Talk Radio and Talk TV.
1: On the app, on your smart speaker, talk radio and talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's face it, we have got several things to be discussing here. Nick says this, Mike, I reckon the government want our kids to qualify from university in debt. It sets them on the path of debt slavery, which keeps them working and the economy ticking over. I'm not sure about that. Brad in Cambridge says kids seem to feel that university is a rite of passage. The problem with these Mickey Mouse degrees is that they will never earn a high enough salary to start paying back the debt. So they don't care. Well, I'm not sure if that's true either, because I think the problem for a lot of parents, for example, is that they also go into debt uh, to put their kids through university. And if the kids never really make enough money to stand on their own two feet, it's all pretty much a waste of time for everybody involved. Sarah in West Sussex says "Mike, you a university degrees the policy was flawed from the get-go which organisations require 50% of their workforce to hold degrees very few is the answer Blair's aim was to reduce unemployment I think that's true as well um, 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number in Collins coming up at one o'clock of course don't forget the new Kevin O'Sullivan show from 3 to 5 and Vanessa Phelps from 5 to 7 uh, coming up tonight right um, let's now talk to Dominic Sandbrook historian host of the rest is history podcast because there's a very interesting subject that we want to talk about which is what is actually going on around these islands of ours and is tourism too much tourism uh, taking its toll um, let's find out dominic a very good uh, afternoon to you welcome Good afternoon, Mike. Thank you for having me. Not at all. I mean, there's an awful lot of people looking east at the moment and going, oh God, it's really hot in Europe, so maybe we should just go on holiday here in Britain. But then uh, you get the double whammy of reading the front page of the Metro today, uh, who said there's a beach crisis in Britain because nobody's going on it because it's too cold. I mean, I wish people would stop being quite so kind of, you know, doom and gloomy about the state of of the travel business. But but you've got different news for us on, on, on the travel business in this country, haven't you?
7: yeah that people don't tend to visit um the places in their own locality, so this is a survey done by the financial services company wise right. and um they've found that uh, only twenty two percent of us feel well informed about um when we 're going sightseeing huge proportions of people haven 't visited the local castles and museums in the local county, right. and yet thirty six percent of people have visited the Eiffel Tower, So in other words familiarity breeding contempt, Mike, that's what it's all about. Yes. So, in other words, have you been to all the places near where you live? The answer is probably no, and that's true of all of us. Yeah. But when we go abroad, we feel sort of honour-bound to go with a little checklist. Yeah. And tick
8: off I mean, Mona it's Lee's a bit like, like I, I, I lived there. in New
2: York for 10 years when I, was, when I was a bit younger, and I would only really go to the touristy bits of it when somebody was visiting. And I think Right, exactly. London, I mean, London's a bit like that for me as well because, I mean, I there was a time when I would go to, you know, wander around a gallery of an afternoon but but you know it's hard to find the time these days i mean i do look at an awful lot of it because when you live in a place like london you're seeing a lot of the history i mean literally i'm looking out the window of my studio and i can see the tower of london see it every day which is amazing i haven't been in it for a while um but i've taken my kids to all of these places but you know once they get a bit older you know what that's like you kind of go do you fancy to the tower of london You know, I'd rather go to a pub. Um, So, but I mean, pubs are also fun to do. I mean, there's pub crawls that you can do, which are quite historic, right?
7: Yeah, you can. I mean, you can basically, if you're interested in history, as so many people are, and why not? Because it's the fascinating stories, great characters and so on. You can kind of... Yeah, we did a thing with our podcast "The Rest Is History," where we went to Amsterdam and to Paris. Right. And we both, where Tom, my co-presenter, and I, we picked time periods. So he picked the golden age of the Netherlands. So that's the kind of the great townhouses of Amsterdam, Rembrandt, the art, and all that stuff. When the Dutch were kind of ruling the roost. Mm. And in Paris, we did um, '60s Paris, so 1968 kind of kids throwing cobblestones at the police and all this and we basically devised walking tours so you can go on this kind of tour we do it in the podcast you you go to nice bars you go to cafes along the way you have a nice lunch but you also see some of the history and you kind of immerse yourselves Mm. in a kind of a time and a place i think and that kind of escapism I think that's a key part. It's always been a key part of where we go on holiday because, I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you, for yeah. Mike, as it is for me and for everybody else. You want to escape your daily grind, put it all behind you and almost pretend that you're somebody else for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a huge part of Are there, of
2: are there sort of uh, landmarks that people don't know about, do you think, in this country where, where, you know, people would be surprised that they're there but they're actually not really visited much?
7: I think I think actually we take... The beauties of our countryside for granted. The fantastic villages of so much of England. um, And not just, you know, the Cotswolds and the most touristy places, Mm. but if you go up north, Northumberland or somewhere, you know, fantastic coastline, beautiful castles,
2: wonderful sights. Yeah, I remember discovering discovering Bamburgh Castle
7: many years ago when
2: my kids, which is unbelievable, you know. I mean, it's it's almost... I mean, also, the thing that's great about it is that they've actually kind of made it a living castle in the sense that they've got you know they've got figures they've got you know they've they've still got furniture there i know some purists will say oh yeah but that's that's a bit sort of schmaltzed up but i actually quite liked it you know you went in the basement there were people being executed you know it was great yeah i think that's absolutely right and i think we tend to be a bit sniffy about going
7: on holiday in we're still sniffy Mm. about going on holiday in england um but actually it's it's often so much more relaxing than going abroad and just you know yeah, basically, when you're in the punishing heat, standing in a great queue surrounded by mobs of <laughs> people, I mean, you know, that's never going to happen to you in Bamber, is it? I mean, it really is. You might freeze to death, but I mean you're not going to get
2: sunstroke. But, but there are fewer, better beach um, scenes that you can that you can look out over Holy Island and all of that. I mean it really is yeah. beautiful up there, and and Scotland. I mean I was I mean I lived, again lived in Scotland for for many years, um, and because it's so accessible, there's not traffic to deal with. You can if you if you get to Glasgow and rent a car. I mean you can be in the Highlands literally in a couple of hours, and it's incredible. It's stunning absolutely yeah, stunning
7: ab- absolutely i couldn't agree with you more i mean the downside is you go somewhere like cornwall in the summer oh. and you know you're queuing for hours to get onto the beach yes. to, to get into the car park right uh, so i think uh i mean it sounds it sounds a, a sort of it's kind of common sense really but it, a good tip we were, we were trying to come up with tips for people when they travel abroad obviously don't necessarily go to the headline places right. go to the kind of place that's next to it. You know, go to don't go to the, the place where there's going to be a mob of three hundred people waiting to get in. Actually, you'll find in the next square along there's a beautiful church or whatever right. it might be. Yeah, um, I mean, that's the just,
2: problem, of course, being British is that you know you, as much as you, if you discover somewhere, you kind of don't want to tell anybody else because you want it to, yeah. g- to remain relatively yeah. secret.
7: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, but you know, you can always you can always tease out places. Well, I was going to, I that
2: was what I was going to ask you. Having said that, you know, if you've got a sort of a secret place that you particularly like that, that you could, if I did, that you if could I, share with us
7: if i told you that mike i would have to kill you <laughs> but um uh there is a place i'll tell you a really nice place so it's in istanbul okay and um you there is a uh, it's called uh palatium restaurant okay i'm not saying you go there for the food you go in and in the background in the in the in the sort of we would call it a beer garden they would call it that but in the garden at the back there's some stairs going down, and if you ask them, they'll say, "Oh yeah, you can go down there and you go down there and they're the ruins of the of the Roman emperor's palace, the wow. eastern Roman emperor's palace hmm. they're completely unsupervised. you can roam around in the tunnels with the torch on your phone there's no kind of you know bureaucratic regulations or whatever It's like being Indiana Jones wow, and it's just right there in the garden of this restaurant it's fantastic, and that
2: could be amazing, probably much better than the experience you might have in the in the Egyptian um, sort of pyramids, right? Which probably right, exactly. now are now overrun with people.
7: Over, exactly, overrun, exactly. Massive tourist traps. Um, so, those kinds of little things, those little sort of his, nice. hidden gems, I think okay. they're, the, they're the things that make holiday, aren't
2: they? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, there's also, you know, there's something to be said for just exploring somewhere completely different. I mean, I know loads of people who have started going to, to, to different parts of the former Soviet Union, you know, which are now independent right. states on their own, which are fascinating, where loads of people have never been, you know.
7: Yeah, I remember going to Bulgaria in the nineteen nineties. Nobody went to Bulgaria then, and actually, Bulgaria has some gorgeous beaches, uh, and it was very cheap, and it was great fun, and it was because it was off the beaten track. You know, you just felt there was a slight feeling of sort of—I don't want to say smug satisfaction, but there's a feeling of achievement having gone somewhere where nobody else has gone. Yes,
2: you know, definitely. Well, they always used to be that. I mean, I don't know where that's kind of disappeared to because. I mean, I think the, the problem with a lot of history conversations or historic conversations that we have nowadays is they're all kind of set in this rather ludicrous um, uh, sort of narrative that, you know, all history is somehow bad. And we were bad in history. And so we shouldn't be talking about that. We should be moving on from. You know what I mean? I mean, we we're talking about yeah, the Elgin no, marbles I'm, this morning. Peter Hitchens yeah. surprising everybody by saying we should give them back, you know, because, frankly, no. you know, we have no reason to keep them. fair enough. But, you know, is this sort of the university generation, if you like, are they, are they keen to explore history as much as we would? I actually think most people are. I think
7: most young people are. I think uh, a tiny minority give them a bad name. Um, a t- tiny, very noisy minority mm. uh, who often so often dominate the headlines. I mean, I totally disagree with Peter. I think we should go
2: back for the rest. I think that's an unusual viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, um... he said he used to think that, but now he thinks that we have no reason to keep them. Uh, but I mean, you could say that of
7: any artefact, couldn't you? I, yeah. don't think, I don't think the um, the Elgin marbles are any different from any others. I think the British Museum is one of history's great museums and it would be an act of unbelievable vandalism mm. to start dismantling it and not, and it would be betraying not only the legacy of the generations of people who built it, but it would betraying the interests of all the British children who get so much out mm. of going to, who perhaps come from families where they don't have the... the you know, it's very easy for somebody who says, oh... You know, we'll take um, Theodora and Roddy out of uh, on a flight at half term yeah. from boarding school and go to go off to Athens, and we'll see it in Athens. But a lot of people don't have the money to do that. No, for that's those true.
5: people,
7: I think that kind of that kind of act would be one
2: of of flagrant vandalism. Mike. Okay, well, maybe we should keep the Elgin Marbles and give them Peter Hitchens. See how they like that. Perfect. That sounds perfect. <laughs> there we are, Dominic. Good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, Dominic Sandbrook, historian, host of the Rest of the is History podcast, talking about um, basically going to places and discovering new places, which has got to be a great thing to do, right? Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. Uh, look out for uh, some uh, places to go and look. for for information on that uh, coming up on our Twitter account and also uh, on Facebook as well. Also, I found out just this weekend, apparently you can watch this show live on TikTok. Streamed, believe it or not. Um, This is Talk TV.
4: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If
2: you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app.